to the Auburn Observer Podcast, the normally recap edition. We will be doing some recapping, but not of an Auburn game. Auburn off weekend in football. Got to watch everybody else in the SEC, with the exception of Alabama and LSU, sweat and uh, have to have to deal with it yesterday, along with some other big games across college football that I'm sure we'll hit on as well as they relate to Auburn and the SEC at large. Painter, how did you spend your Saturday without Auburn football? I enjoyed myself given the way things went heading into the open weekend. I just watched plenty of college football. I didn't think we were disappointed. I was surprised about the Georgia outcome for a couple of different reasons. I think it holds true the theory that really seems prevalent in the last 10 or so years of college football. Maybe it's even been longer than that, but better offense is trumping elite defense because that's what Georgia has as an elite defense, and even still it wasn't enough. And we could talk about some of the sloppy play on Georgia's uh, offense, and and at times, like, look, defense looked a little confused, but that was one I enjoyed getting a little bit sidetracked. That was one I enjoyed, and it went away. I did not expect it to. Southern Cal was a fun game. Um, Mm -hmm. The Clemson-Otter game, uh, Notre Dame game did not disappoint. So I, all things considered, without Auburn, I fared pretty well. What about you? Yeah, it was it was a pretty good weekend for me. Saturday, I, did, I just decided not to work at all. Like I'm going to write a story. It's going to be a little mini film room. It's not going to be mini. It's going to end up probably being as long as some of the other ones. But um, just focusing in on a, on a couple of things with Auburn Auburn's offense heading into this, not really the second half of the season, but the second two-fifths of the season uh, uh, for Auburn. But I didn't want to do anything yesterday, so I just said, hey, I'm going to take I'll take the day off. It was a late night, Friday night, covering uh, covering high school football. The playoffs had started in Alabama here, so uh, helping out with that. And, um, yeah, but it was good. It was good. I, uh, you know, got to keep an eye on a lot of games. Uh, our boys at Indiana uh, pulled it off again. They, I mean, they look Three they and Michigan, oh, bro. They made Michigan look bad. Enjoyed that. Enjoyed that. Because it was so predictable after week one. I didn't expect Minnesota to look as bad as they've looked either. Everybody wanted to talk about Michigan's offense turning the corner after one. And I was like, I think we have a big enough sample size to not get too excited. Don't want to look ahead too far, but Auburn's scheduled opponent in 2021, Penn State, looks really bad. They're 0-3. Indiana beat them. Maryland took it to them. Maryland, who looked... So bad in week one. Talia Tagovailoa has looked really good the last couple of weeks, and Maryland's looking different. Yeah, that that's a conference where like Indiana, Rutgers are playing well right now, but like Michigan's not, and Penn State's not. Did, uh, did Rutgers get down. some cheap points against Ohio State, or did they actually manage to keep it respectable? Because the yeah, final Ohio- score, I was like, oh okay, like hey, I, I kudos to you, Rutgers, for not just getting run off the field, but I didn't know when those points actually came. They got some points late. The thing is, is Ohio State's defense is not doing particularly well early in the season. But, again, it might not matter because I think Justin Fields <laughs> has thrown, like, 11 incompletions. By the way, um, you know, we saw in the Florida-Georgia game what having an elite quarterback can do for you and what having an elite offense can do, especially, like, Georgia's defense coming into this game was – the best in college football in SP plus by a significant margin, even after they had gotten kind of shelled at Alabama and the same thing happened in this game. Um, you know, they were able to look good early. The other team weathered the storm and then they just started dropping bombs on them. I mean, Kyle Trask 
they were they without were Kyle Pitts open. for much of the game. By the way, like they, right. it was one of the games where I was looking at Georgia and either they weren't lined up at times properly or they were just getting out schemed and players were confused. And that's not something we're accustomed to. Georgia's Kirby Smart defenses looking like, and like you said, elite defense. Versus what a top ten offense? Like I don't know if I would yeah. put Florida in the elite category I think offensively. They're top five in SP plus now. So, so I, I don't know if you consider that. And we're kind of getting into semantics when you're talking about good versus elite. Either way, it's oh, clear in, in in my mind that Georgia's an elite defense. And regardless, yes. it didn't matter very much against what the second second really good offense, or or in the words as you put it, elite offense. Because I think we would say that about Alabama. And maybe you can add Florida to that now. And meanwhile, if you look at this whole situation now, Florida's in the driver's seat in the SEC East. Mm-hmm. It looks like an Alabama-Florida game would probably be the one that you would see in Atlanta at the end of the year um, for the SEC title. But once again, Georgia's going to come up short, and they're going to come up short without a quarterback. Yeah, yeah. like in the one – I saw uh, Kirshner, a friend of yours on Twitter, saying Georgia fans can kind of chalk this up to a – uh, fluke thing with Newman transferring when he did and Dang, the quarter- hurt. yeah but at the same time like I know Georgia fans a lot like Auburn fans are when they're told to be patient Georgia fans are losing patience with the quarterback spot and I don't they think they can really be too mad about the overall body of what's going on at Georgia they're an elite program right now they just are being eluded by that championship but yeah the quarterback has undoubtedly been the weakness of, of Kirby Smart since he's gotten to Athens. There's, I don't meanwhile, know, there's no way to beat around that. Meanwhile, the guy you did have at quarterback is playing better than anybody else in the country right now at Ohio State. Yeah, he might and, win the Heisman if he just stays in all of the games, given that Lawrence oh, yeah. has now had to miss a couple, right? Yeah, no, no, I mean, he's got to be in the driver's seat. He's got as almost as many touchdowns as incompletions this year. Like, that. that's... He's playing at an unreal level. And, again, this is not an Ohio State team that is like, oh, but they have NFL wide receiver X, Y, and Z there. Now, they've got some really good receivers that are going to get some more looks at them, you know, as, as time goes on. But it's not like they have Jamar Chase or, uh, you know, Devontae Smith or uh, Jerry Judy or any of these guys that we thought were going to be bigger name guys heading into the season. So, yeah, if you're Georgia at this point, it's like this is this is why right now, especially in this day and age of college football, it's really good to have a great defense. But you've got to bring offense to the fight because the best teams have it. And right now, Florida has positioned itself, even with that loss against Texas A&M, they have positioned itself to make a run in the playoff, right? So, or, or at least to get to the playoff, they'll have a shot to win the SEC if they hold the course. Like they have to, they'd have to completely fall apart in order not to make it to Atlanta. So, what does Florida have? Well, their defense is kind of a mess at times, even though they they you know shut down. I thought Georgia. There was a stretch there, like Georgia went up fourteen nothing in that game, and then it was like something like thirty five or thirty eight unanswered for Florida. If you take away the, the pick six, the pick six. So like they had they had them scouted out, and that's the thing for for Georgia is that. You know, you can't. Yes, it was your third and fourth options heading into the season, and Dewan Mathis and, and Stetson Bennett. But like, you've got to have that quarterback spot. Since that game unfolded a lot to me, the way that I had expected Auburn and Georgia to. I think, I, you know, I think that Florida put up more points than I anticipated Auburn ever would have, and that yeah. turned out to be foolish, no, if not, not premature, level, yeah. right? Um, but I just thought that 
you know, hey, Georgia's got a talent edge. That was true against Florida and it was true against Auburn, but I thought Auburn had the edge at quarterback. And it turns out that didn't look to be the case for Auburn, but it certainly looked to be the case for the Florida Georgia game because clearly I think Georgia, I like their roster more than I like Florida's, but it doesn't matter when you've got that dynamic of a player at quarterback. He kind of neutralizes the game for you. Well, not only do you have a dynamic quarterback who's playing really, really well this season, became the first uh, player in SEC history to throw for four touchdowns, uh, at least for, at least four touchdowns in five game, five straight games. Um, you've got a guy, and you know this is a podcast where we, you know, make fun of Dan Mullen, but like, let's be very honest here. Dan Mullen's an elite play caller. You can you can kind of ride him about. Pretty much His every personality other or whatever. Yeah. And other aspects of him as a coach. But like as a play caller, he can get it done. And he was he was scheming dudes open and they were they were executing at a, at a really high level. And so that was it was just the perfect storm for Florida on that offensive side. How that relates to Auburn moving forward is this. Auburn's defense, you know, is not the same defense that it's had the last few seasons, but still it's a very good defense that does a couple of things well since they've gotten healthier, which is A, um, they create turnovers. And B, they have that bend don't break mentality. They don't give up a ton of huge plays against them. And, and these these explosive plays that even a team like Florida, uh, that a team like Georgia couldn't slow down yesterday, it comes in when you look at the next four games for Auburn and what they're going to do for the rest of the season. If you have a defense, you know you don't necessarily need to have a defense that is just stifling and, and breaking people down because elite teams are going to find ways to move the ball. It's just. Can you keep things in front of you, and can you force turnovers? And then on the offensive end, play explosive, play efficiently, um, you'll have a chance. And in these last two games, Auburn has done that, especially against LSU. They have done that, and that is a formula they have to put forward uh, to you know to have a chance, I think, to go into the Iron Bowl at 6-2 and two, and with a shot to say, hey, we're a good enough team that we can hang with Alabama. And we, I mean, no, uh, we've said it before, no one – has had a had more success against Nick Saban in this Alabama run than Gus Malzahn. So there's something to be said of that. I know it's going to be on the road and it's going to be a really tough challenge, but if you play the way you've done the last couple of weeks, you're going to have a shot, right? Fortunately for Auburn, the next two games they play are against two teams that, quite frankly, are... I'm enjoying the way it's going for both of these out. programs because... I was eager to see the Mike Leach experiment. I think I was more excited about what was happening in Oxford, but it being so unconventional around Leach was undeniably exciting. And also, you know what? It was sort of a win-win because either way, it was going to be a train wreck and we were all going to get to watch it go down in flames, or he was going to bring the air raid back to the SEC and it was going to be a lot of fun. And it certainly looked that way in week one, and I don't know what the hell was going on in Knoxville, but man, I don't know why Jeremy Pruitt thinks he can talk to his assistants the way he does. Their mm-hmm. team to me, when they started out this year, especially given the way they closed last season, I thought I was going to be eating some of my words about Pruitt because he really surprised me in the back half of last season. They looked lost. And speaking of quarterbacks just not getting it done and needing a dynamic player at the position, it's been a bunch of years and they've not been able to do better than Guarantano. And uh, I don't I don't understand Pruitt's appeal as a coach. Like he seems to be recruiting moderately well, but to me it's not there. And I quite frankly don't have a lot of love for the guy. Uh, just watching him interact with other people. Tennessee is now lost. I mean, at, they were what they were undefeated um, heading into that Georgia game. 
if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, and they were up in the first half, and I was really ready to start being like, all right, I miss, I misread this Jeremy Pruitt thing, and they got crushed in the second half and have not looked like the same team since. Yeah, since then they've lost 34-7 to Kentucky, 48-17 <laughs> against Alabama, and then they lost 24-13 to Tennessee. Uh, they were up 13 nothing in that game and gave up 24 unanswered to Arkansas to lose that one. Uh, Tennessee down the stretch, they host uh, they host – Texas A&M next week. They play Auburn in two weeks. They play Vanderbilt, and then they end the season against Florida. So, so probably good going one luck. and three. Yeah, I, I would expect them to beat Vandy, and I have that could be a three and seven Tennessee team. Yep. Um, so I'm but, not really uh, I'm not really feeling bad for them, but I think it's going to be a rough end of the season, no doubt. When you read out those teams, yikes. That is happening in two weeks, and again, this has been an unpredictable year, and you don't really know what's going on. You know, week in and week out. But yeah, yeah. the fact of the matter is, is that Auburn's got a really good chance to be the team r- rolling against a team that's reeling, especially at home in Jordan Hare Stadium in two weeks. Before that, they got to get to Mississippi State, who won their second game of the season yesterday against Vanderbilt. However, could you understand why it was that they were favored the way they were in that game? Because Vanderbilt is awful. And Vanderbilt Even is, still, Vanderbilt though, is beyond dreadful as a team this year they have been wrecked by covid they have a giant talent gap it's just it's they are horrible like this is one of the worst vanderbilt teams we've seen in a while i mean you've probably got to go back before the james franklin era to see a vanderbilt team quite this bad like i don't think i i don't think they yeah, in the last decade though. we haven't been accustomed to vanderbilt being this much of a doormat you're right yeah. there was a certain losing uh, losing uh, there team. was an, like, yeah, yeah, but the, the expectation was like, hey, maybe they can get to a bowl game this year. And it's like if uh-huh. they do that, every, you know, any year they make it to a bowl game, I think most people are like, all right, just sort of tip the cap. So Mississippi State is up 17 nothing at the half on Vanderbilt and wins 24-17. <laughs> Vanderbilt came all the way back in this game, and Mississippi State, I think, pulled ahead. The problem there, Vanderbilt, I th- believe Vanderbilt turned the ball over five times in this game and Can't lost by that. seven. And lost Can't by seven. That. So Mississippi State had no like uh, Mississippi State Mississippi State was I want to look up the advanced box score here real quick because I'm dying to see what this looks like. My guess is although I don't know having not watched the game, my guess is if they had just punted on first down on all those turnovers then State would have had worse field position and potentially lost that game. That's chalking it down a little bit too sim- like too simply, but uh, I bet those turnovers uh, were the biggest, not just that they turned it over, but the field position. What do the metrics say? Um, well, the postgame win expectancy for Vanderbilt is 100%, and they <laughs> lost, so that's something. I think that, that number might be a little bit scary, but let's, I mean, you take a look at it. Vanderbilt better in PPA, better, uh, slightly lower in success rate against this team, much more explosive. It's just you, you turn the ball over five times. Vanderbilt had nine scoring opportunities. They gave, gave them 17 points. Mississippi State only had six scoring opportunities. They got 24 points on those. Mississippi State needed Vanderbilt to shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over and over again to beat them by seven. Yeah, you snapped a bad uh, bad losing streak right in that game. But Vanderbilt had 30 first downs. Mississippi State had 14. And they lost. And they lost. Vanderbilt threw for 336 on Mississippi State's defense, and they lost. Mississippi State only threw for 226 yards, and they won. It's unreal. I mean, it's a, this final line is just ridiculous. And so Mississippi State is not a very good football team. 
They're only getting worse. They're only losing more players. I'm curious to see what happens. They needed five turnovers to beat. They they needed five turnovers to beat Vanderbilt, and now Auburn's got to go to Starkville on Saturday, and we'll get in more into this game, you know, later in the week. But the fact remains is that Auburn's coming off of two really good performances: one good performance, one great performance, excellent performance, whatever you want to call it against LSU. And now you're playing a Mississippi State team that has one. A game because Bo Pelini did not know how to how to adjust his defense. Lost four straight, and then needed five turnovers to barely beat what can be easily described as one of the worst SEC teams of the last decade. Here's your opportunity, Auburn. Fascinating to see what happens at State and Vandy because we've talked a lot this season, and certainly there's been a lot of chatter among Auburn fans about the head coaching job and. Uh, this is not really a year in which athletic departments feel like they're in a position to make a bunch of big, expensive moves, but both of those programs look like they might be destined for, for some kind of change. To your point about Auburn, I would expect nothing more than a thrashing for a number of reasons. One, all of which you just listed against Mississippi State, they are bad, bad, and they State have lost a lot of their best players on top of that. Um, on, on, on top of that, Gus Malzahn has typically been excellent coming out of open weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, things are lining up pretty well for Auburn to get, keep it going. You know, we'll see what Tennessee looks like after they play A&M next week. But you know, take, I, I mean, hey, hey, A&M. Fact, I, I like South Carolina on the line. I think I I got it at like fourteen and a half right after that game started, and I could not have been more wrong. A&M absolutely wrecked South better. Carolina. They're looking better. They're looking better. I still haven't been sold on them, but the last few weeks they're trying to change my tune for sure. Um, yeah, and I think when you look at this Mississippi State game coming up for Auburn, like the the one thing that people said about State is like, yeah, well, their offense is a mess right now, but at least their defense is playing well. And then Vanderbilt moved the ball pretty effectively on them. It's just they turned the ball. Yeah, you can't do that. You cannot right. turn it over five times. I, I mean, that's heartbreaking for Vanderbilt. It's just don't do that. We would be remiss, however, if we did not mention Liberty 38, Virginia Tech 35, Malik Willis and Liberty Flames picking up a big win as the first game ever when they've been ranked. Um, started off well, Virginia Tech came back, looked like they grabbed the game by the throat, then it was back and forth. They tied it up with, what, 50 seconds or thereabouts to go? Willick Willis, 20 of 30, passing for 217 yards, three touchdowns, and no picks. He ran the ball 19 times for 108 yards and a touchdown. He did fumble the ball. He did fumble the ball twice. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, the thing with, thing with Malik is, is that the athleticism is there. He makes, you know, he makes some tough mistakes at, at times, but there's no denying that in this system and in this level of competition out of Virginia Tech is is an ACC team but you know they they were 4 and 2 heading into this not necessarily a great Virginia Tech team um he's he's playing really really well and i think um you know, i think auburn fans are are you know going to be happy to see Malik have this level of success um elsewhere you know and yeah, I think- i've enjoyed that auburn fans are generally good about supporting other players when they go other places and it's nice that Malik's having this success and i think that he should be congratulated soundly for it I also want to remind people not to get like overly gushy about Hugh Freeze here. Um, I understand he looks good. Malik looks really good in this offense, but also uh, that's one of the better teams they'll play all year is Virginia Tech. 
By the way, I think I think there's a real chance that Hugh Freeze is up is back in the SEC or at a Power Five job. See, it's Tennessee or South Carolina. No, here. I don't think I don't think ten, Tennessee just extended Pruitt. Like I, that to me is the craziest South Carolina's thing. The they, one. That, yeah, and and I'm I what's the situation with Tennessee just, because they they uh, they pulled the trigger on that and I was like, man, you guys. Well, they were you know they were they played well at the end of the season last year. Right? They were on a little win streak, right? They, they had recruited well. Hot. Yeah, and people are feeling better about the team. But who was going to come take Pruitt from you? Why did you exactly. need to extend exactly. him? So I'm interested to see what happens with Hugh Freeze moving forward. I think South Carolina might be looking for a head coach sometime soon. Uh, after getting blown out by A&M, Will Muschamp is now under 500 as a head coach at South Carolina, which, yikes. And, yes, Auburn fans, you will have every right in the world to be mad about that result for, until the end of time because uh, – you had no business losing that that team, and if you don't turn the ball over three times in your own territory, you don't even have a chance, I think, to to lose to that team. Um, remember, all three of those turnovers led to touchdowns for South mm-hmm. Carolina, and you lost that game by a possession. So, well, not totally the same, but kind of the point I made with Vandy, like if they had just punted on a lot of those drives where they ended up turning the ball over, you could probably say the same because South Carolina couldn't move the ball 75, 80 yards on Auburn. If Auburn right. had known it was going to turn the ball over and just punted, it would have been in a better position. That, that loss aged really poorly. There's really no getting around it. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what happens in South Carolina um, because it is not looking good for Muschamp. Uh yeah, and then Tennessee, I think, I mean, they're just kind of stuck there. And again, they, like, who do you get? It's like the thing in Michigan right now, too, honestly, and, and, and Nebraska to a different extent. It's like, you got your dude. You got your dream candidate. And it's not working out. This like, might just be as good as it gets, right? I think I mean, if you're Michigan, I, I don't you need know. To make who a move. I think you need to make a move. I don't think Harbaugh's like you have to try something else. That's fair. Yeah, it's like you've the the body of work is there, and you realize I think what the limitations are, and even under the best years, you're not going to beat your rival, which is always going to stop you from getting to the playoff. So we'll have more um, Auburn football talk later in the week, of course. It's probably going to end up being one of our shorter podcasts of, of, of the time. But, I mean, it's all off weekend. Uh, we'll have we'll have some stuff to talk about for sure on, on Thursday as we get closer to this Auburn-Mississippi State game. I will say tomorrow, AuburnObserver.com, if you want to subscribe and you haven't subscribed already, $6 a month or $60 a year can get you in, get you that access to that premium podcast we'll do later in the week previewing the Mississippi State game and all the stories we have. Uh, tomorrow I'm doing a story on – just how much has Auburn's passing game evolved under Chad Morris? Like, where can where have we seen through six games the difference? And I think if you break down some of the concepts and, and, and some of the ways, different ways they're using the passing game, there are some differences, and we're going to kind of dive into those a little bit more X's and O's and and um, stat-heavy stat stuff tomorrow. You can check that out. And then we'll have more stuff throughout the week, of course, getting ready for Auburn basketball season and, uh, and Auburn football's stretch run. So AuburnObserver.com is where you can get all of that. Hey, Fred, right. can I interject here real yeah, quick and ask this, and maybe if you're going to get to it in your stories, then just defer. But have you heard from Chad, Bo, or anyone else reasons why it seems that Bo has been able to spread the wealth, why he seems more comfortable getting the ball to some other receivers? Because we were talking the other day about Georgia's receivers, and generally speaking, and I think this is true across the board, Georgia has more talent on its team, but I actually like Auburn's receivers this year more than I like Georgia's receivers. Yeah. Um, 
there is a uh, – And I say all that to say, hey, Bo started trusting them. You know, I feel like he started, you know, instead of just looking to Seth so heavily, it's like, oh, yeah, you're using those well, other talented guys. I had – you know, this was, a, this was a question that I asked Chad last Thursday, and here's his response. He said, I think that goes back to what we said earlier about the tight ends. Getting the tight ends involved really opens up a lot of things for us. Uh, interjection here. J.J. Pegues is uh, getting the ball in his hands a little bit more. Uh, they are running routes, of course, with Luke Deal and John Samuel Shanker. They're on the field. But also, Brandon Frazier, according to uh, Chad Morris, is going to be back. Uh, he was back in practice last week, and there's a chance we will get to see him uh, possibly this weekend against Mississippi State. The six foot seven freshman tight end, the way people have talked about him and what I've heard about him, I think if he was healthy, we would have seen him by now. You can't eat six seven. So, uh, I think that that's correct, and part of the fact that they're spreading it like the tight ends and using the tight ends more will open things up a little bit more, get Bo to look around more. Let's go back to the Morris quote. He says, quote, you know, one of the things we've stressed to our guys over the last couple of weeks is we got to be able to spread the football around. You cannot be so predictable that only one or two guys are your main targets. So our ability to spread the ball around the last few weeks has really helped us out a bunch. It will continue to help us out, not only in the passing game, but also in the running game because other guys are fresh, and you got to be alert where these guys are. Early on in the year, we knew what Seth was. We knew what Flash was. To be able to target those guys and take some pressure off and allow some of the younger guys to continue to grow up, I think we've seen that through the last few weeks. I fully expect to be able to spread the ball around, and it's really helped Bo out. Sometimes we get locked in on one receiver, and if it's not there, we take off. So we got to be able to let him sit in the pocket, go through his progressions, and understand that we've got answers. we just got to get to him. To answer your question, Painter, this was an emphasis. I think after South Carolina, it was just like, hey, buddy, you've got to, like, You've got to you got to trust these other guys more. You got to be able to trust your protection more. And like, look, if you if you don't feel comfortable looking elsewhere, tuck that thing and go, which he did against Ole Miss, and he did to a really good extent against LSU. And I think, yeah, it was just they got to that point where it was like, you have to learn. You have to learn from from that mistake. It, you 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 lost that game. You shouldn't have lost to against South Carolina. And part of the reason is you panicked under pressure, kept forcing the ball to a guy who was well covered. Just because he has all that, you know, all that success in one-on-one situations. So in the last couple of weeks, we've seen them spread the ball around a little bit more. We've seen them be more comfortable, and, and that is a direct result of coaching. That's a direct result of focus. That's a direct result of learning from your mistakes. That's what you wanted to see, right? All, uh, you know, fans can get upset about the how it happened. You also have to, I think, realize that these guys, these guys know what's wrong more than anyone else does. And they are working on it and they are focusing on it. And they, and we've seen a material difference in the way Bo Nix has handled that over the last couple of weeks. No argument for me. I was really disappointed after the Georgia and South Carolina games. And since then it has looked a lot closer to what I expected it would, especially in that LSU matchup. Yep. So I, I will leave it at that for now. I imagine you will have more to say on that at the observer this week. It, and I think the, and I think the big thing there with Bo is is that yeah it's frustrating because he was a returning starter at quarterback it was such a weird off season you had all these guys at receivers and all these other teams were were doing so well right off the bat and you weren't it took you a while to get going and that is a frustration I, I understand that Auburn fans have but it's getting better and if he finishes these last these next four games looking like the quarterback of the last two games you feel a lot better about this partnership heading into 2021 where you can bring back most of your offensive line. You know Tank Bigsby will be back. We'll see about Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz and Eli Stove. You're starting to work some other receivers in. You've recruited well. Like 
it won't be like it won't be like oh we got to figure some things out here kind of thing. Um, you can use this year more as a catapult than you would have originally thought after the way the Georgia and South Carolina yeah, games went. And I sure, think you can hopefully sure. hang your hat on Bo having a good road game against a bad Mississippi State team since it was a great LSU game. There's no denying it. Was it the best of his career, Ferg? I mean, it I seemed like it. it That's what like it was, it and I think it was as well. Uh, so with all that said, it's like, all right, now can you just keep playing well on the road and then you should play a bad Tennessee team back at home. So, uh, I'm, I'm fully on board that Auburn's in a position where it could go seven and three and play a competitive game against Alabama and suddenly 2020 doesn't look like the lost cause that it might have once been. And here's the thing, Mississippi State and Tennessee, those are two teams that I think they're going to put up better fights on defense than what we saw from Ole Miss and LSU. Yeah, yeah. Still winnable games. Like, Auburn's going to be favored in both of those games. And There should be no matchup on the field that Tennessee has an advantage on that I can think of, except maybe the offensive line. Like, maybe their offensive their line. Offensive line has, their offensive line has not. Right. It, it's on paper, it looks results. like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think Auburn in yards before contact this season uh, with their running game is like second or third in the SEC. And Tennessee, with all those five stars, is ninth. Auburn's the ragtag group of offensive linemen for Auburn that they've had to put together. And you're like, ah, you, you know, if you're an Auburn fan, you're like, you want to get some more talent on the offensive line. You want to build that up. And that's true. But it's also like you got to actually execute when you get the talent. How many times have we said that about Auburn over the last decade or so? And I think Tennessee doesn't really have that much going for him as well. On top of the fact that Auburn's defensive line is getting deeper, deeper and healthier down the stretch of the season, I think I think that will help them as well. Let's switch over for the second half of this podcast. Let's talk about Auburn basketball. You know, we did the we did the Auburn basketball heavy, or really completely uh, Auburn basketball podcast. Yeah, I like the Thursday. way you put it on social media. I think it was about seventy five minutes of straight basketball, basketball and then a little bit of postage talk there. Little little bit of little bit of postal service talk. That's right. Um, we love our postal service people. We we got that again once once again. If you were listening, <laughs> if you were listening to this, um, and you. Uh, just listen to the free podcast, or you get the free you get the free emails. Um, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Uh, we will continue to have one free one a week. But if you want to get access to that premium podcast, AuburnObserver.com, sign up there, and you can get access to our premium podcast episodes. And during the off week, we did one where we just ran down every member of Auburn's uh, basketball roster and kind of where they fit and what we thought about this team heading into 2020-2021. We have a clearer view of the schedule. It seems like over the next day or so, maybe next couple of days, sometime this week, I think at the very latest, uh, you could say, um, Auburn will have its full schedule out there. We know most of their non-conference opponents, um, and now we know all of their conference opponents. A couple things here to hit on that with that. Number one, uh, the St. Joe's opener uh, that they're playing in Fort Myers, that has been moved to Thanksgiving Day. That is a Thanksgiving game, and it's not the day before Thanksgiving. It is Thanksgiving Day and on Friday. Uh, Black Friday, they will play Gonzaga, uh, you know, in Fort Myers. So we know that for certain Auburn is going to be playing on Thanksgiving. So you don't have to watch the Cowboys. You don't have to watch the Lions. You can watch Auburn basketball play in their opener against St. Joe's. And then on Black Friday, that's still a tradition. I mean, I guess that game just pulls big numbers and people are used to it. Uh, But I mean, I am really excited to watch uh, those two franchises try to play a nice game of football st joe's um again as we said had a rough year last year they're in the rebuilding process auburn on campom right now would be projected to win by 11 in that game uh they would be projected to lose by 11 to gonzaga 
Um, that's the kind of, that's the kind of challenges you got ahead for you for Auburn. So we're under three weeks away. We know Auburn's going to play Troy at some point. Uh, we know they are supposed to play uh, Memphis and Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if that game's still going to be going on as scheduled. They have scheduled a home and home of sorts. Um, it looks like a two for one deal with Appalachian State. Uh, there, there's, there's, I think there's like two or three games that we don't know about. They're still trying to lock down or they were trying to still lock down. So we'll see how that, that, uh, that comes up here over the next few days. Uh, you know, I think by the end of the week, we should definitely know what this schedule looks like. Meanwhile, we have the Auburn basketball SEC schedule. And when you look at it on paper, uh, you can tell, oh boy, this is going to be a rough one. Um, this is a, this league is tough. This league is tough. I'm not saying it's a rough one in, in case of like, you know, Auburn's got no hope. Don't, don't, don't think I'm saying that, but whoa boy, uh, this is a, uh, this is going to be SEC basketball like we've come to expect it over the last couple of years where you are not going to have a moment's break against this group. It starts off with a very experienced Arkansas team. I think one of the most intriguing, given the potential of upside they have, a very much improving Texas A&M squad. I think you have to be really impressed with what Buzz did there. Ole Miss, I know Kermit Davis, uh, they had a down year last year. He's recruiting well. And mm-hmm. then what I think could be – They return a good bit of experience as well. Mm-hmm. And then Alabama, fourth game of conference play, and it's a big one, I think, because – Your first Saturday home game? In yeah, SEC play. And, and yeah, I think Nate Oates is doing a good job. They've got some momentum in recruiting. Um, and, you know, I don't think Auburn has too much to worry about given the results of the Pearl tenure plus how well Pearl recruits Georgia. But I think it would be nice in, in terms of sort of quieting the Alabama excitement as well as giving yourself a little boost on the recruiting trail if you could sweep this team this year. And that's not going to oh, be an easy task. It would be a monster, monster win if you could sweep Alabama. So uh, that's a, that's a big ask. But to me, that's, you know, I, I said, I want this team to finish in the top four, given how much experience some other teams have coming back this year. I think that would be a massive accomplishment. Finish in the top four in league play, sweep your biggest rival. If you do those two things, I almost don't care what else happens this year. Listen to this stretch, Auburn has Auburn has to play four, there's a stretch where they play seven of their first nine games in SEC play away from home, right? Um, <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah, Arkansas uh, home, so and then you go. They, there's a stretch after the Arkansas home game. They play A&M on the road, Ole Miss on the road. Then they come back to play Alabama. Then they go to Georgia, which is probably going to be, I would think them and Vanderbilt are going to be competition for probably the worst team in the SEC coming into the season. We'll see. We we didn't think A&M was going to be much last season, and they ended up being a pretty good team. Um, then you host Kentucky. Then you go to Arkansas. Then you go to South Carolina, right? So five of your first seven are on the road. That's what I should have said. Five of your first seven are on the road, and the two home games you have are Saturday games against <laughs> Alabama. Yeah, it's not like those home games are the easiest in that Arkansas game to start off the year. They very well could be a team that's a top three, top four, uh, that has a top three, top four finish. So, um, it's, you're right. It's going to be a hard season for a young team and it's got to come together quickly given yep. the amount of emphasis that has been put, uh, in the league on basketball. And hey, even that Georgia game last year, what Auburn took care of business at home against Georgia and then a few weeks later ended up losing. So yep. I'm with you. I'm not holding out a lot of hope for that Bulldogs team in, in 2020, but at the same time, I don't think it's a gimme. After that stretch that we just said, they come back home to play uh, Missouri. They hit the road to play Baylor. In <laughs> they got to go to Waco. They got to go to Waco. 
there's a little bit of respite there in this little stretch here because after that long trip, they, they play Missouri at home, they play Georgia at home, they play Ole Miss at home, and then they go to Vanderbilt, which is, again, we don't know how good Vanderbilt's going to be. That's but right. in that stretch, you still have to play at Baylor, uh, currently the number one projected team on Kempom this season <laughs> in the country, and then you have to go to Rupp Arena and play Kentucky. Yes, you play Kentucky twice again this year. Um, they don't play so, Tennessee twice, am I correct? They do not. They and they don't play Tennessee until the very end of the season, as well as Florida, as well as LSU, as well as Mississippi State. So after you go to Kentucky at Rupp Arena, they play Mississippi State at home, then they go to LSU, then they play Florida and Tennessee in back to back games at home, wrap up the season on a Tuesday night away from home at Alabama, which is rather interesting, um, that they're wrapping up the season on a Tuesday. Uh but we'll see. We'll see Such how that life, goes. Berg. Such With, is life. We'll see how that goes. I mean Let's keep in mind we're still we're still dealing with a pandemic. Um, games in college football are getting canceled left and right. Uh, I think I think Washington State was down like 30 players yesterday. Mm. Um, you know we're seeing it in the NFL having having a big effect. Trevor Lawrence wasn't able to play for Clemson. Like it's still it's hard happening. to imagine there's not going to be some pauses in action, right? Like I would expect mm-hmm. that this is still going to come into effect in basketball even as we get closer to having. Period. Yeah, right. we hopefully get Leave closer to having a vaccine. To Leave that. Yeah, yeah, you're right for sure. And uh, leave that. Leave that last Saturday. I'm guessing open in case you have to move yeah. some pieces around. Right. Looking at the schedule again, like we said, there's there's a couple of stretches where it seems a little bit easier for them to go. Like if they can click, like January is going to be brutal. But like if they can <laughs> kind of get some things figured out in in the month for the month of February, they can kind of get on a little run maybe. Um, but yeah, you got to survive January, and that's why to me. You look at their schedule coming up uh, this season, they have to really, really make the most out of these non-conference games. You're not going to get a ton of them this year. They are, and like Auburn's not shying away from, um, Auburn's not shying away from challenges. Obviously they're playing Gonzaga and Baylor this year, uh, even though Baylor comes in a little bit later, later in the year. But like, yeah, that's uh whoo, that's a, that's something. That's something. I know that. I know that just sound horrible in the, in people's headphones. So I apologize. <laughs> for that. Um. Anyway, it's uh yeah, it's a uh it's a rough uh it's a rough little stretch here. Um, yeah, I think the only downside um, of having a better basketball conference is that you really get no slack uh for a young basketball team as talented as Auburn appears to be. The rest of the league has committed to having talented teams. As well, it's almost a disappointment that Auburn did not jump on the basketball train like in the early 2000s, you know. I mean, I guess there's just more money in it than there used to be. But uh, the, the league is deep, and it's going to make uh, make life harder for, for Bruce Pearl and company, especially with the young squad. I can't wait. I think even though there's destined to be some real frustration uh, in some of these games we mentioned, I think it's also going to end up having some real reward to it. By the way, um, this was pointed out. If you're if you're wanting something to be, to if you're wanting to something to look forward to even more about that that November that that, that opening stretch against St. Joe's and and Gonzaga, mm-hmm. uh, Fox announced that Adam Amin and Bill Raftery are calling that tournament. Sweet. So Adam Amin, one of the best in the business, and then Bill Raftery. If you don't, if you can't enjoy listening to Bill Raftery color commentate <laughs> games, like you are, you're in a real real bad spot. Um. I'm trying to find there is a there's a All right, here we go. This is uh this is courtesy of a friend of the newsletter and uh subscriber uh Shooty Hoops Will on Twitter <laughs> uh writing for uh writing for College and Mag and those guys over there. Um 
he has he has it down. He's done a good job of keeping track of everything. Uh, November 26th, St. Joe's in Fort Myers. November 27th, Gonzaga in Fort Myers. They will play UCF. We do know that as well. They will play UCF in Orlando right after that. So they're going to you know make the most out of their trip to Central Florida uh, and play another game there. They have a big gap um, in announced games before they play Memphis and Atlanta. A week later, they play Troy at home. Then they play Appalachian State at home. We know they play Baylor. Uh, two more games to be figured out, and it looks like that 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 window between the UCF and Memphis games, you might pick up a couple more home games for Auburn. Um, Tune-up games, so, but like even the non-conference schedule is not going to be easy. Yeah, you're playing two of the top three teams, and one of them comes in the middle of a very different difficult conference schedule. I love it. I think that regardless of what happens, you're going to be battle tested as cliche and corny as that all sounds. Like by the time you get to the tournament, I fully expect this team to find a way to get into the tournament. Uh, I don't, I don't think that Auburn fans should take that lightly either, considering what it is they're up against that they'll be in as good of a position as any team to go on a run. Look at how Auburn has played in the last two seasons come the end of the season. And perhaps they will have somewhat of a, lackluster conference performance you know maybe my my projection or really i hope it's is more than a projection that they finish in the top four is a little bit too rosy but if you can get on a run at the end of the year and beat some of those teams you know they've done well against tennessee at the end of the last couple of seasons alabama would be a nice boost if you get a win over them on the road to end conference play i like auburn's chances for a young team to come together after conference play but i I don't think you should take lightly either that this is a really good basketball conference this season it's a really good basketball conference. Scoring at Ken Palm, Auburn's projected to, would be projected to go eight and ten right now in SEC play. Wow, that's that's where your challenge is, right? Because everybody, pretty much everybody else in the league has more experience than you, right? You don't know the teams that are the teams that are currently in Ken Palm ratings behind Auburn at this point in the at this point in the preseason are A and M, State, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. That's it. You've got a lot ahead of you if you're Auburn. Um, you know, I think Auburn is in the neighborhood of these Arkansas, Missouri, South Carolinas, Ole Misses, Alabama, LSU. Like, I don't necessarily think that they're super far back from those teams by any means. I think this season, Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee are going to be the class of the conference. Um, and we'll see, you know, what, what moves from there. Uh, but, yeah, like there's a shot that they can compete. Like if you look at if you believe Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida are going to be the top three teams in the SEC this season, that battle for the four spot: LSU, Ole Miss, Alabama, Arkansas, Missouri, South Carolina, A and M, Mississippi State. That's going to probably be your competition, right? Some of those teams have more experience than you. How are you going to be able to handle it? And it's going to be how you do in those early tests against teams like Ole Miss and Alabama, because you don't play and Arkansas, because you don't play Florida and LSU towards the end of the year until towards the end of the season. So. Yeah, I think this is I think this is a team I think this is an Auburn team that needs to make the most out of this non conference play. And I think the way the schedule sets up, January looks a lot tougher than February and then that little March stretch for them is like if they can survive the storm, you know, if and then they can be a you know, five hundred team or somewhere in that aspect that, that, that first month of the season with all those road games and all those tests and you know, having to play like you have all those road games and then you have to play Kentucky and Alabama at home, you're only two in that in that stretch of seven. If you're Auburn, survive that, you know. If, if you can pick up, if you can finish with a, a winning record in that stretch, great. I mean, I, this is a sign that you're a good team. But I think survive that stretch without knocking yourself out of tournament contention and bottoming out. Then you get in the month of February and the, the road gets a little bit lighter. You start playing a little bit more home games. I think they're going to be in a good spot. 
Auburn fans are going to like, especially, especially the way this program has gone, and especially the fact that you did not get to see last season's team finish the year. There's like that that lack of closure for Auburn basketball last season. People are going to be extra amped to watch this team. They're going to be extra amped to watch a guy like Sharif Cooper play because he's the highest rated player in program history, right? But with that, with that being said. Auburn basketball fans, get ready for this. Like th- these non-conference games, you're going to get a mixture of teams that are going to be fighting for their fighting for the NCAA tournament. A couple of teams that are going to be on the rebuild that you can have a chance to improve yourself and get good good wins there. Uh, and then teams that you're going to throw yourself into, like Baylor and, and 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 Gonzaga. At this point, it's like, all right, like I don't. What is Memphis going to look like this season? Like Memphis brings back. I mean, I don't know how much talent they bring back, but like this is like Penny's just racking up recruits on that team right now. So I think these are not conference games. Like I think Auburn fans are going to be, especially this year, they're going to be so grateful to watch anything, but like, yeah, that Auburn Troy game or when Auburn plays app state or when Auburn plays whatever, you know, kind of buy game they get at home there in the month of December. I think there's going to be a whole lot more interest in that. And there should be, because there's, it's going to be a really, really fun team that is going to have to learn on the fly. Yeah, Auburn's run into a weird Auburn's run into a weird paradox here where it's got perhaps its most talented team on paper. You know, maybe it won't be this year in, in terms of the win loss record, but when you start mixing in the type of athletic players that Auburn has in combination with Sharif Cooper and eventually Jabari, like it's crazy to think how good they could be and also that this season might not culminate in what Auburn fans have come to expect over the last couple of seasons with conference championships. And a lot of that has to do with simply not having the experience that they've had in past years, even if their talent does exceed some of those past teams. It's going to be a weird year for Auburn because of all the other things we've mentioned, the pandemic, of course. And you just don't know what to expect in the first month, I think, of conference play when you've got all those games on the road, a super mm-hmm. young but super talented team that could very well round into form at the end of conference play. It's a, it's a weird situation to have what I think is going to be the most talented squad Pearl has had to date that also is trying to figure itself out. And that's why I'm serious when I say, like, I think that you should fully expect this team to make the tournament, but it's not a given. Yes, 100%. 100%. Like, this, it's not a given. Like, you, this team has the talent to make the tournament, but, like, this is a weird year. We'll see how they gel. And, and, and keep in mind that the rest of the league is, is a lot better. Now, I think if this team plays to their ceiling, they not only can make the tournament, but make it solidly and, like, have a run to be one of the best teams in the SEC this year. Like The teams, like we mentioned earlier, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida, they have a lot of talent, and they returned a lot of experience. Maybe not quite as much at Kentucky, but Kentucky has more talent than anybody uh, year in and year out in terms of recruiting. But that race for that four spot, I think Auburn can get into that conversation, even if they don't get into that. Being a top five, top six, top seven team in the SEC gets you firmly in the in the SEC tournament, or the NCAA tournament, right? So for a young team, this is the beginning, right? There is a chance Again, I don't want to. I don't want to alarm anyone. Um, <laughs> there is a chance that next season in 2021, 2022, everybody comes back for Auburn. Sure, Cooper comes back. These guys we've been talking about in the off season that are have potential to explode. Jalen Williams, um, JT Thor, uh, Devin Devin Cambridge, those guys. There's a chance all Even those the likes of Johnson come. and Powell, you know, oh, yeah. adding a three a, a dimension from deep that uh, Auburn did not always have last season. And this team is going to shoot a ton of threes again. Like you're going to get back to that style. So it's going to be fun. 
it's going to be frustrating at times. <laughs> yes, like, I can already like I can. I, you're going to have to talk me off the ledge a couple of times. Cause I'm going to be pouting for sure. There are going to be games. I know they they're going to be cold, and it's like, all right, well, they're young and they didn't shoot well, Painter. Yeah, they're young and they didn't shoot well, but look at what the Final Four team did. They just stuck to it, and by the end of the year, you know, that volume turned it turned into efficiency after right. a while. But as I was saying, like you, you, those guys can all take that step forward this year. This team could make it into the NCAA tournament. This team could be a, a really good team, or even if they are on the bubble, or you know, it, it doesn't quite work out in, in a weird pandemic season. Well, all those dudes can come back. Sharif Cooper is not a first round draft pick prospect right now. Look, of course, we didn't think Isaac Okoro was going to be either, right? But Cooper is not a guy that people are projecting to be one and done. It would take a like if he goes in and just lights the world on fire, then yeah, sure, like go go get that money, go 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 be a <laughs> go be an NBA point guard. But there's a real chance that all those guys come back, and you and you add a dude in Jabari Smith, who is even better as a recruit than what you had in Shreve Cooper. And then it'll be like, you could be one of the most experienced teams in college basketball next season and add the best player you've ever had. So again, with this Auburn basketball team this season, think big picture because this schedule is not going to do you any favors. There's going to be some games in this non-conference slate where there's potential where it could get kind of, it could get kind of rough on them. However, it's the big picture. If this team continues to gel and weathers that January storm that we were talking about in the SEC play, SEC play, get into the month of February, get into get into March and see where you go from there. And then whatever forward momentum you have, know and keep in mind that Bruce Pearl has built a program. He has not built a team. He has a the Final Four team. You may never go to the Final Four again, Auburn fans. Like you might not. It, it, it's so hard to make it to the Final Four. It's so hard to win a national championship in basketball. Really good teams get knocked out early every single year. But you've built a program that can be a contender in the SEC year in and year out. It is only getting more talent and more talent and more talent coming in to its ranks. Think about the big picture. Look at the big picture and say, like, yeah, when this team goes 3 of 24 from deep in a game, you can just be like, well, that sucks. But, you know, think about about what progress is going to be made off of this. So. We've talked about patience, but I think when you look at the schedule and you look at it out on paper, you're like, oh, yeah, this 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 is going to take even some more patience when you have to when you have to you know, sort it out that way. Or again, you know, we could be cautious for no reason, and then this team could play to that talent level, and they could be a really fun and really good team for most of the season. That's I just think about all the, the growing pains we often see Kentucky go through. Yes. Especially the first half, the first three quarters of a season. And then Calipari's usually really good at getting his teams into decent form by the end of the year. Plus, of course, they're all just super talented. So that's yeah, that all really good. But like Auburn's dealing with some of that, right, with all this youth and experience and does not quite, of course, recruit at that level because who else does? Maybe like Coach K. So, Dude, yeah, I mean, hey, it's just like you have to temper expectations and realize that even Kentucky, for all of the great players they've had in the last 10 or so years, a little more than that now under Calipari, like they just look weird some games. And uh, I think you're in for that Auburn. But of course, the flip side of that, if you're going to stick with that analogy, is that sometimes they absolutely mop the floor with people because they have better players. Uh, John Calipari has been at Kentucky since 2009. He's won one national title and he's been to the final four three times, uh, four times with him. He has not been since 2015. I would okay. say your ROI, considering what Pearl is doing it with, is 
titles plus the the obvious final and four then, trip. I mean, it's, and most of the and, and most of the people who are listening to this know this, but like sure. winning an SEC title, winning an SEC tournament title, making it to the final four, like those things are rare. Those are rare for good programs, right? It's just hard to win that many games in a row, right? Like in any in any format, whether it's your conference title or, or the dance. So it's like that's what makes college basketball so intriguing because it's like you it's give yourself in a format. You've you've discussed oh, it no. many times. It's it's really fun for the viewers. It's not necessarily good for parsing out who the most consistent teams are, who the best team is. I think if you're Auburn, you have to continue to try to position yourself to be one of the four best teams in the SEC, get that double buy into the SEC tournament, which gives you a better chance to win the SEC tournament, which gives you a better chance to go into March Madness with a better seed and and momentum. And if you do that and you recruit at a top 20 level, which right now they're recruiting at a top 10 level, but top 20, top 25 level, like you are, you are, you've got it made. This is, you are one of the best basketball programs in the country top 20 top 25 basketball programs in the country by default right it's a program it's a consistency that you're trying to build for right now so you got to think with the big picture in mind especially in basketball because there's a lot more games in football and not every week is a referendum on, on on the coach's you know success or failure all that to say know that the successes that bruce pearl's had in the last few seasons like these teams could be better and still not hit those highs because those highs are kind of a crapshoot, especially the tournament ones. If you win the SEC, if you win the SEC regular season title, that's I mean that first team that did it. I mean that that's that's a that's a special team coming together and and, and playing better than everybody else. But also keep in mind that the league has gotten better since that team as well, right? Mm-hmm. Auburn caught caught that. At, you know, Auburn is part of this rise in basketball across the league. They win the SEC title, and the league has only gotten better since then. It's only gotten deeper. It's only gotten tougher. Alabama's seems to have somebody that they that they really they really like moving forward um building a more consistent program than when they might have had under Avery Johnson. There's just a I mean there's a number of examples. Old Miss is a, Old Miss and Mississippi State are teams that are contending. Arkansas that team and they're recruiting pretty well. Like I I like some of what Davis is doing there. They had a down season last year, but they also lost a bunch of close games and that is a middle tier program in the league right now. Maybe middle bottom actually. And you're only two like the the two or three programs you think are uh, like you don't really feel great about them heading into the season. Right, right. One of them's Georgia, which did not do anything with the best pro, best recruit they'll probably ever get. No disrespect to the greats of Georgia's basketball past, but in terms of pure recruiting talent, Anthony Edwards could be the number one overall pick in this draft, number two, number three, whatever. You didn't do anything with that. Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. It's such a weird fire. it's such a weird team with weird recruiting and it's the private school and it's like they're so like Vanderbilt could get their act together and like become the Duke of the of the of of the SEC, right? Like it would be stunning to see that happen, but it's gonna take a long, long, long time for that. And then you got South Carolina who just so happens to have one of the best coaches in in, in God's basketball. He just doesn't really have the talent level to, to to be where they want to be and they haven't been consistent recently. Other than that, you know Kentucky's going to be really good. You know Tennessee and Florida are going to be good this year, but like also those teams have also <laughs> Tennessee and Florida both have been capable of, under their current head coaches to underperform. And then it's just everybody else. Buckle up, Auburn fans. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, just be patient. I think that does it, doesn't it? I think that leaves us at a good at a good spot, my friend. Painter, tell everybody. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the in the show, but tell everybody how they can continue to support the show here on this uh, on this on these free editions of the Sunday podcast. 
So I, I put this out on social media. I think I've come across as a coastal elite with my coffee references. So to make it a little more accurate, a few cups of coffee, maybe two, maybe three, depending on how you like your coffee, gets you a sub to all of Justin's good work at Auburn Observer. And, of course, we've got the pods, which if you will share them with your friends and family and people who care about football and basketball in Auburn, that's tremendous help. It's also tremendous help if you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to those podcasts. We, of course, have this Sunday one, which is always free to you, regardless of your subscription status. Then Thursday, we've got the premium podcast just for the inner circle. Would love to have you in on that as well. Again, rate, review, subscribe, and you get all of Ferg's good writing. Thank you guys for your support. And, hey, we're international. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we are international. Northern Ireland, and we're still getting podcast listens in Finland for some reason. So shout out to <laughs> shout out to Finland. Um, follow me on Twitter at jferguson.au. Follow him on Twitter at paintsharpless. We will talk to you again on Thursday as we preview Auburn, Mississippi State. Like Painter said, writing this week, more Auburn football, more Auburn basketball coverage at auburnobserver.com. Appreciate every one of you guys for helping us out. We are closing in on 500 subscribers, um, which is, I mean, I can't tell you how far and away that blew out anybody's expectations or projections in less than three months of this whole thing. So we appreciate all of you uh, for helping us out. And um, we will talk to you guys again on Thursday for the Inner Circle. We'll talk to the rest of y'all after the Mississippi State-Auburn game on Saturday. Painter, the Bills are winning. They're up. I don't want to jinx it. But, yes, as, as of time recording right now, good things happening in this house. My Seahawks have to bounce back. Second half team. We want Metcalf with six receptions. Just keep that in mind. Six receptions for 210 yards. That'll be great. I love it. (laughs) Go Bills, baby.